listening to the New Century Multiverse, The Princess Thieves. Chapter 13, The Empty House. You two really do make a delightful couple. You remind me of a fox being petted by a hippopotamus in a wig. Mortimer, we're underway in a few minutes' time. You ready to go? Got all your gizmos packed? The woman slid up beside him, serpentine and smiling, as she played with one of her braids, wrapping the dark hair around her deadly little finger. That's a little too close. It's close enough for what I have in mind. Consider having something else in mind, then. I'm practically wearing you. I do look good on you, though. You look fabulous. That's never been at issue. What do you want from me? I'm curious. You didn't defend her when I said she had the dimensions of a river-dwelling hulk. That, to me, suggests either that you see her in purely monetary terms, or that you're afraid to show me just how deeply that smitten little heart of yours has fallen. She locked eyes with him. So which is it? Cash cow or turtle dove? What she represents, her title, her position, could bring a better life to so many. Ah, but she could bring a great deal of happiness to just you. And haven't you earned it? I don't know how many lifetimes worth of good work I'd have to perform in order to deserve... Shh. Just think about it. Living wild and free, with that smile, those eyes, those hips... And knowing every day you woke up together that you have a queen beside you that nobody else can have. Why are you so fixated on what I... Because an awful lot of my gold is riding on this royal hog being returned to her pen. And I don't want you screwing the whole thing up because you can't stop thinking with this. My gizmo is none of your business. Oh, but it could be. Consider your options, Robin. There are so many more appropriate girls for you out there. Girls whose lifestyles run parallel to your own. Girls who will truly understand what it means to be on your side of the law. I know, and I'm going to bring her back just as we've planned. That hasn't changed. Take your hand off my... Then you might want to consider hurting her. Badly so as to leave her in no doubt that her place is on the throne and marrying that fine, upstanding Duart Lord. Do what you do best. Rob her of all affection for this life of the wild rogue she so clearly craves. Break her heart now, to save her further pain. And get your head back in the business of robbing from the rich. Gwendolyn re-emerged from Merlane's hut with their companions in tow, to see Mortimer pressing Robin against the cart. The bounty hunter leaned forward, sliding a smooth neckline close to Robin's lips as she turned towards them, dipping into a theatrical bow. Majesty, your chariot awaits. Gwendolyn felt a breathtaking pain in her stomach, which twisted up and drew immediate tears to her eyes. 
Her teeth ground together as she glared at Robin, and she trembled uncontrollably, even as her back straightened and her head raised. Very well, then. If that was the stuff these thieves and vagabonds were made of, she would prove her material sterner. As the words came, they took out of her, like little souvenirs, the hopes that she had fostered in this remote and ancient retreat. Very well. Take me to London. Robin stepped past Mortimer and approached Melaine, not looking at the princess. Are you sure you won't leave Camelot? You know others are going to come creeping back in here. I come and go from time to time. It's not like I'm stuck here. But I always have to return. My place is with the sword. Well, until she's back on the throne, you might want to consider going wandering and leaving this place a ghost town. I'll consider it. But who else is going to look after the nag? Send him to stay with us in London. Not leaving. I'll fix him up on a romantic tryst with Carrots here. Had her already. Is this true, Carrots? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Please take care, Melaine. Go. Be off with you. I shall be fine. Will I see you again? How should I know? I have six or seven timelines actively playing out right now. In three of them we do meet again, in three of them we don't. In one of them were lovers, but I have no idea what I may say or do in future to make that happen. And it sounds disastrous. <laughs> you are one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Nanny Yen. You're welcome. Good luck in there. I suppose if I do have good luck, I must be on one of the better timelines. Are we done with all the temporal mechanics? My poor little brain is hurting. I'm not sure I understand much of this at all, but let's get the show back on the road. Violet, my bags. I handed them to the princess, and she angrily passed them to Robin. You can carry them. It will keep your hands busy. At five bells, we concluded our journey back to the centre of London. The clouds had gathered, the buildings rose up around us, stretching in pillars and points up towards the grey sky, and we all became painfully aware of the innate purity of the air we had previously been breathing. Gwendolen had not spoken a word to me during the journey and sat in the back with Viola and Oberon, the former of whom had been working on concentration techniques that allowed her to maintain our new faces throughout the ride. We were all aware of who one another was beneath the obscuring facades. It wasn't anywhere near as crude and simple as a mask, but ephemeral and mundane, convincing in wholly different ways. When people glanced at us, our features clearly bored them, to the point that they found other things to be interested in soon after. We kept our shoulders slumped, our tone resigned, and our movements slight. Mortimer, who was sat beside me, I found the hardest to ignore. I had to admit that she cut rather a dashing figure, capable, cunning, and commanding. Superficially speaking, every bit my equal. Had we met a week beforehand, I would no doubt by now have been engaged in a merry fencing match of tongues with this impressive creature. 
But today, this undeniable draw between us only served to make me more frustrated and saddened over the imminent releasing of our princess. I was well aware Gwendolyn could feel my eyes on her when I looked back there, so I kept them to myself. However, as we headed south, and she really began to see the people, not just observe their presence in the world, but to comprehend their place in it, the slump of those shoulders became increasingly less of a pantomime. The smells hit her as well. It was not just the air and the absence of that ancient woody atmosphere that Camelot was steeped in, but the antithesis here, a soup of coal fumes. Not having kitchens of their own, the poor relied on cookhouses for their food, and the whiff of meats no sane person would ask for the origin of travelled down the roads and past our noses. The reek of the Thames, a visible rancour like salted rubbish, the stamp of horseshit, piling up on the street corners for the turd wardens to carry away for the fields. The nervous, filthy tremors of wet, desperate dogs peeking from their alcoves, the blackening of cheap sweet chestnuts, and the sharp nip of gin on the breath of passers-by. For someone who dealt in nothing but the most refined, palatial air, it must have been overwhelming. They're so thin. I'll bet you didn't think Akka could get that emaciated. Rob and I are lucky to be able to pull together the meals that we can. Why don't they just get better jobs that pay them more money? Some of these people have three jobs. A lot of mouths to feed at home. Well, why not just have fewer... Oberon looked at her, but this time it was without fury. What was in his eyes was actually closer to pity. Children? I, I was going to say... Nothing. There's nothing I can say, is there? So you and Robin steal from people like us and give to people like this? We started out just giving to them directly. We still do that with those who badly need the food or a few coins to live. But what our partner Scarlet figured out was that they really needed an industry that was on their side. Not one that considered them to be biological cogs in the great machine. Replaceable. We have... We have a problem with that way of thinking. And here we are. This is my place. You can all come on up and hide here for the night. We'll get this one back home tomorrow. I think I still want to stay a few more days. You don't mind, do you, Mortimer? If you want to gawk at wastrels for hours on end, that's no skin off my nose, my old bucko. As long as I still get my cut at the end of it, you consider this palace your new home. We pulled the cart into a side alley, stabled carrots, and climbed the wooden stairs up to Mortimer's apartment, which was actually a large Tudor house. Oberon stooped as we entered and spent the next few minutes ducking beams as we found ourselves being led through empty corridors, past many vacant bedrooms, and an expansive, cold parlour. Mortimer's so-called apartment would have comfortably housed twelve families from this area. The moment we were through the door, Viola breathed out a sigh and our false identities melted away. Without asking, she hopped up on the kitchen worktop and began raiding Mortimer's cupboards for sweet things. Oh, help yourself. As the bounty hunter conducted her house tour with a brittle smile, I took note of the lavish weapons rack in her well-stocked workshop the dusty glasses on the shelves in her finely appointed echoing kitchen, the one dish on the draining rack, and the elegant yet redundant dressing screen in her master bedroom. 
beneath a startled-looking moose head mounted on the wall. I spotted a framed photograph of Mortimer, stood with a man bearing an enormous bushy moustache. Perhaps a lover, though her gloved hand still obscured a possible wedding ring. Alternatively, the way they both held their heads aloft in that haughty, esoteric manner suggested a familial bond? A brother. He was clad in exploring gear and clearly had not troubled himself to put down his glass of port while the photograph was being taken. On another of the parlour walls hung an oil painting of Titania and Bottom by Henry Fuseli. I had seen the original at the National Gallery and told Mortimer truthfully that this was an excellent reproduction. Oh, darling, it's the Nash that have the reproduction. That's the original. Several facetious comments about she and Oberon crossed my mind, but I found none of them worth uttering this time. Her boast aside, this painting's very presence in this house began to tell me more about our new hostess. Mortimer terminated the tour with unpractised grandeur, and after starting a fire in the grate, she sat down on her couch next to a small table that was home to a single book. The rest of us stood far back from this lonely queen of the fairies. She looked so small. have been listening to The Princess Thieves, written, edited, and produced by Alex Shaw, with a full cast. Oberon, performed by Matt Wardle. The Nag, performed by Spencer Lieb. Viola, performed by Loretta Saylor. Old Meg, performed by Maureen Foley. Princess Gwendolyn, performed by Theo Lee. Robin, performed by Alex Shaw. Mortimer, performed by Sharon Shaw. The Princess Thieves theme was Arrival by I. Sazanov of Shockwave Sound. Miri's Magic Dance, Arcade Chade, Perspectives, Dirt Road, Terminal, Plaint, and Angevin, composed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Datchler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tima Hellas Hario, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, 
Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns.